Welcome to a Words, Beats, and Life podcast. This episode features the WBL Academy's College Material Series. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome everyone to Where the Bag At. For those who don't know, my name is Terrell Salser, the head college material coach here at Words, Beats, and Life, and I'm proud to bring you all a new event titled Where the Bag At. So no, I'm not referring to City Girls, Where the Bag At, or Lil Wayne's Got Money, um, but today I'm going to be referring to how to secure scholarships grants, loans, and much more for you or your child or your friend or your cousin to attend the college or university of their choice. So stick around. We're going to have a bunch of different organizations, a whole bunch of different scholarships that we will be presenting to you all today. We're going to have our academy manager as well as our host for the night, Miss Serena Lewis. She's going to come on and she's going to take the show. All right. So sit back and relax. We have a wonderful event planned for you all. Thank you for coming out. Um, before I bring on our first guest, I just want to encourage everybody to follow Words, Beats, and Life on Instagram and YouTube. Um, if you're tuning in through Facebook, friend us. If you're on Twitch, follow us. But more importantly, feel free to donate by sharing bits. There's also a donation button linked on our uh, Instagram page as well. So first up, we're going to bring on Coach Patty Medina. Hey, Coach Hi. Patty, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you. Coach Patty is one of our volunteer uh, college career coaches um, through the college material program. So we're really happy to have her. Uh, She has a plethora of knowledge that will help our students um, just beyond the academy, which is part of why we really want to have her here tonight. Um, So Coach Patty, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How are you so knowledgeable on helping to help students secure the bag for college? Right. So I've been a college basketball coach for the last 16 years. And amongst coaching, you know, we have to help student athletes. I was at the junior college level. And so we had to help student athletes transfer from a two-year to a four-year. Or we had student athletes come in from high school to college. And we helped them with that transition. And during that process, I held positions. Um, Coaching is not a a high-paying job. And so I held positions um, in the university, other positions such as student services, where I helped with admissions, and then I was also a financial aid for an uh, advisor for a couple of years, which in turn helped me a lot with everything that I do now with helping student athletes, particularly student athletes. But in this case, I, I'm excited to be able to help a, a different um, demographic of students. You know, so I'm I'm excited to be able to help with different, uh, just a different population. You know, I've been working with student athletes for the last 16 years. And like I was telling you, Serena, like I, I came across Words, Beats, and Life, and I'm like, wow, like I love music, I love arts. Um, I have my house is like full of different art prints and just colors, and um, being able to help and give back to the community, but then also do it in the form of arts and hip hop, especially. I'm I'm excited about that. So thank you guys for having me. I'm glad I came across Words, Beats, and Life, um, and you know, people that don't know. You guys do so much more than just these panels. So I'm excited to be a part of it all. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we're super excited to have you um, give some of your talents to our youth. Um, and, you know, this is broadcasted to even more than just our academy youth. So, so hopefully um, somebody listening and gets something from it. Um, and we won't be selfish. We know that you have all this knowledge. So we want to have you answer some questions that will hopefully be helpful to these students. Um, so. Let's start with FAFSA, right? Because I remember I was so confused, like trying to figure this out. My dad didn't know what to do. Like, I don't even know if it existed when he went to college. So like, how should students prepare to fill out their FAFSA? Uh, FAFSA has come a long way from when we were in college. You know, when we were in college, you had to have like, you had to ask your parent, like, yo, can I have your tax return packet? And then you had to go to line 41 and fill in line 41 on your thing. Now, um, the IRS has combined uh, FAFSA with the IRS. And so all you need is like your parents' social security and, you know, date of birth, basic information. And 
you log in, you sync it, and it literally uploads all the information. And so um, now the issues that we come across is either parents haven't filed for taxes or, um, you know, they, it, there's no record of it. For some reason, it doesn't come up. And so we've had instances where um, some students will try to upload their parents' tax information and it doesn't come up. And it's because there was a mistake on the on the name or we had one where um, we were trying to update her, her FAFSA and come to find out like her parents were having identity theft and weren't even aware of it. And so there was like two different um, two different profiles coming up with the IRS. And so then that kind of led to another situation. But um, yeah, FAFSA is important because it literally is the foundation of financial aid. So in order to be able to, and we'll, you know, we're going to talk about other, other grants and things like that, but in order to really um, know how much you can apply for and how much, especially state funded um, money, free money that you don't have to give back. It all goes through FAFSA because it's all based on income based. So um, it depends on how much the parents make and there's ways around it. We've had to also, um, we've had, Students, for example, we had foster students that obviously don't have parents' tax information. So then there's another section where you apply for independence. And at, technically, you're not supposed to be considered independent until after you're 25. But there's certain ways around it if you meet certain criteria, as in you're a foster student, um, you were adopted, whatever you it, there's we've been able to maneuver like in finesse ways where like oh I got kicked out the house and my parents have disowned me and the parents have to like sign a letter saying like yeah I've completely dis disowned this child like I want nothing to do with their financial aid and so we've had situations like that but FAFSA is the most important part and thank god they've made it a little lot easier um now it's in different languages I know when I was growing up you know I, I'm I'm from Mexico I was born in Mexico so I'm my son is first generation, so I was literally had to be figuring out how to translate things for my parents. But now you can do it where you can change it and, you know, it's in Spanish. And so um, it's becoming a lot more accessible, a lot more easy to maneuver. And so but it's it's literally the first part of financial aid. So do you have any, um, you said there were some workarounds and things like that. Um, do you have any advice for a student who is trying to apply and fill out their FAFSA, but their parents haven't done their taxes yet? So like, what what could they do? Yeah, there's uh, there's different forms. So there's like anything else, you can petition certain things, um, but them not having done it is not enough to be like, oh, I'm going to file independent. So they the student would just have to press the parent like, hey, I need you to do your taxes because it needs to go into this information. And sometimes um, the students have jobs themselves so they could file and up upload their tax information and then go from there. So um, there are ways to maneuver. But if you are under 25, then your parents, at least one of the parents, tax information is, is required. That's really helpful um, because I don't think that a lot of students realize like if you do if you work and file your own taxes then your parents can't claim you as a dependent but then you may get more aid because it would be off of your your financials as, as opposed to your parents um so that that's super helpful yeah um, are there any other major do's or don'ts with fafsa that you can think of like any like um normal errors that people like common errors or anything like that that could hold up your aid or cause any issues yeah, we've had simple mistakes to where it's like you add, let's say your your intent was to type in 600 and you put 6,000 on a slide. And the next, you know, your your EFC, which is your estimated family contribution, your EFC comes back like $50,000. Like your family is expected to turn in 50, you know, help with $50,000. And this child is, you know, the student is like, well, my parents make below 50. What Like what's going on? And so we would go back. And it's like, oh, wait, you got this much? And they're like, oh, no, that was supposed to be $600. So then we had to resubmit. We had to wait again. Um, so it's very important to, like, double, triple, quadruple check your information. But again, with, with the IRS merging, it's a lot easier because it, it leaves less room for error. But if, if the person that, like, the problem we're having now is that people want to do their own taxes. And so mm -hmm. when they do their own taxes, 
it's um, they could make mistakes that could affect their child's FAFSA. And so it's important to have, you know, a professional eyes look over, even if you do it through like QuickBooks or, you know, whatever it is that you use. Um, it's important to have someone else kind of look through it and make sure that you didn't add an extra zero here or, you know, you put an actual amount when it should have been zero or you put more dependents than you actually have. And so uh, just little mistakes like that will will prolong the the process. And then one of the main things, too, is that a lot of students wait until the last minute to submit it. And one of the things that a lot of students don't realize is that a lot of these grants are first come, first serve basis. And so they if they wait to the last minute or if the parents wait to the last minute to um, submit their taxes, it becomes a lot difficult to get these this aid. And so it's important that it, it's done in a timely manner and that there's attention to detail. And it is it is tedious and it does take a long time, but it's it's important, you know, for for your future at, at, in college. Yeah, so you brought up a, our next point. Um, so grants. I know I was not well versed on what grants were for the individual in school. Like I knew what grants were for nonprofits and for organizations, but I didn't realize that I could get certain grants, right? So like, what is a grant? And like, how do students apply for them, qualify for them? Like, just tell us more about that. So grants, I tell our students, grants are free money. Uh, grants are, are money that you are given and you don't have to give back. There are some where you have to fall under certain parameters after graduating. Um, for example, there's a teach grant. That one, if you, you get it, it's because you're pursuing a, a, a degree in education. And once you graduate, in order to, for it to not become a loan, you have to teach in a um, at-risk, low-income school and then be there for four years. And then by then, it'll be forgiven. But what ends up happening is that a lot of students get these teach grants and then they realize, well, I, would, I don't want to teach anymore or I want to teach at, at a at a more prestigious school that doesn't fall under the category of a low income um, school, then their grants end up becoming subsidized loans. And so um, and we'll talk about loans as well. But there's a lot of things. I'm from California. We have Cal Grant in California. So when I was asked to do or participate in this panel, I did a lot of research as far as like Maryland DMV. Um, and there are a lot of resources, especially in Maryland. Um, and the, the good thing about D.C. is like it, it's a very educated focus. It might not seem like it, but it's a very education focused um, area. You know, there's a lot of grants. There's a lot of private grants. There's a lot of um, different institutions that help out. And so um, a few of the things that I found for Maryland and there's a Maryland Higher Education Commission. So it's a website, it's um, mhecmaryland.maryland.gov, and it's literally a one-stop shop. And so what I liked about that is that you go in there, you create a profile, and it, it links with your FAFSA. And so oh, when it links nice. with your FAFSA, it tells you, hey, you qualify for this grant, you qualify for that grant. Um, and whereas before, at least for me in California, the grants was a separate website than FAFSA. And so it's like, they didn't really inter intervene. It was, one was not dependent on the other. And so now with this one, you go to the um, Maryland Higher Education Commission and you create your profile and it asks you for your, like your FAFSA login and it kind of merges. And so, and then it gives you, you know, it tells you like, hey, you're available, you're eligible for, there's a few on there. There was like the Howard P. Rawlings program, Education Excellence Awards. So there's that one. And again, it's based on EFC. So the main thing about grants is that most of them, uh, I won't say all of them, but most of them are based on your EFC, which is your uh, estimated family contribution, which means if your parents make a lot of money, then more than likely you won't qualify for a lot of these grants. But then if your family um, don't, if your parents don't make a lot of money, then you can qualify for a lot of these grants. Um, but they're all based on your expected family contribution. So um, main thing here is knowing, you know, what your FAFSA, your EFC is, because a lot of times when you look through them, it'll say like EFC expected of whatever. And so if you're not remembering, obviously if it's zero, it's going to be easy to remember. But if it's anything above that, then you'll have to be able to remember what your EFC was so that you can think off top, like, hey, I'm eligible for this one or no, I'm not. And so they have that one. They have... 
a two plus two transfer scholarship, which means if you're a student at a community college, then you get next you can get a grant for transferring to a Maryland school. So they're trying to push community college students staying within um, the Maryland schools. So like if you go to Bowie, if you go to University of Maryland or any of the Maryland um, extensions, you know they they want to promote. Uh, students staying within state. And so um, that's another thing too. It's like in-state and out-of-state tuition. So a lot of people are like very excited about moving out of state for college, but then you have to realize that a lot of these colleges charge out-of-state tuition. Um, with COVID, they ended up um, minimizing a lot of it because everyone was virtual. So it's like, how do you charge somebody that's in, in California going to Bowie? the same as somebody that's in Maryland going to Bowie, but they're both online. And so they there were a couple adjustments with the in-state and out-of-state tuition, but there are a lot of um, there are a lot of differences too when you go from out-of-state schools to in-state schools. So it's important to really know what you want to do in that regard. If you want to stay in-state, then there's going to be a lot more um, resident type grants. Whereas if you go out of state, you're gonna look, you're gonna have to look for more career-oriented grants. And so that's my next point too, is that um, their different degrees have different career uh, grant opportunities. So, for example, um, through my nonprofit, we have a a grant for uh, young black, uh, black and brown or minority students pursuing a degree in, in the mental health field, so psychology. Uh, family counseling, you know, and so we give a grant and they have to suffice a certain category of prerequisites in order to qualify for this grant. There are a lot of other organizations. I know we have some guest speakers where they have these grants and these scholarships where you they have certain requirements and you have to either be in a certain field, a study field, or you have to uh, pursue a certain degree or you have to have come from a certain background. So there's a lot of, for me, um, when I went into college, because I was born in Mexico, um, I had like an immigration grant. And then because I was first in my family, I had first in the family grant. And then I had a minority grant and I had a female minority grant. And so it was literally like my, most of my money came from grants. And, and a lot of those grants were literally things that I, I was and I didn't even know I could get a grant for like, oh, I'm I'm a woman. I can get a grant because right. I'm a female oh, I'm Mexican, I can get a grant because I'm Mexican. Like, oh, I'm first in my family. I can get a grant because I'm first in my family. So, and, and you know, praise God, I had a great counselor that would sit me down and be like, yo, you qualify for this, you know, apply for this. And, and that's my next point is that a lot of these grants ask for like a one or two page essay or, you know, and no shade on like our new generation, but the, these younger students are don't expect to they expect to not put in the work and so um we were again we were trying to give out scholarships and we were asking for like a one-page paper on like why you would want to pursue a career in mental health and we literally we had 30 scholarships available we received 10 submissions because people are just like Oh, I don't really want to write a paper for scholarship. And so what ends up happening is that you have this small group of, of students that are actually motivated and that do these essays. And then you have the other group that is like, oh, there's going to be a lot of people submitting it. So I'm not even going to do it because I got to write a whole paper and I might not even get it. And so next thing you know, there was only 10 10 applicants for a 30 person pool. Then now they they're amount of money became more and so that's another thing i try to tell students like i know it seems tedious like oh you got to write the paper and honestly a lot of times they that one paper can you can kind of just move it around and that one paper might suffice for other scholarships because the, the themes are the same like you know what is one event in your life that changed you uh, what's in what's something that you would you know do differently or um, you know, who motive, who inspires you? Like, these are like typical prompts and a lot of students just don't want to write essays. And so there's a lot of free money floating around for students, um, even for people pursuing, you know, their, their bachelor, their master's and their, um, doctorate degree. There's a lot of right. great 
but they require writing an essay and a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't really want to do it. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely something that, um, within the college retail program, we want to have our students be practicing, which is writing, reading, writing these essays that they will have to write for college, you know, even to get in and to secure, to secure the bag, you know? So, um, definitely, definitely an important skill. Um, so let's just jump to loans, you know, um, briefly, like what are the different types of loans and um, which ones should students just like try their best to stay away from when trying to afford school? Yeah. So um, loans are something that like, again, I was not very knowledgeable on when I went to college. And so it was like, oh, you can get a $2,500 loan here and you can get another one here. And for me, I'm thinking like, oh, it's, it's money that I can borrow and then I pay back eventually. But no one told me that, yeah, there's no interest while you're in school, but then it's still accumulating. And then once I graduated college, a $2,500 loan became an $8,000 loan because the interest was accumulating throughout. So then we tried to talk to them about APR and interest rates. Like, okay, this might give you a $10,000 scholarship, but the interest rate is 27%, you know, or this one might only give you five, but their interest rate is only 3%. And so we tried to talk about uh, low interest rate loans because, um, you know, it's going to take a, a, a few months to get into your actual career and to be able to pay. And you don't want to be working just to pay your loans. And so um, there's Stafford loans, there's Parent and Plus loans. Uh, one of the things that we try to um, shy the students away from are the loans that um, accumulate interest while you're in school. So there's some that don't accumulate until you're after after graduation. And then there's some that accumulate while you're in college, but then they don't get plastered on until the end. And so um, we try to, honestly, I tried to shy students away from loans as much as possible, just because, um, it, it, you know, I feel like you're kind of, it, it ends up being a death trap at, at some point. And so we try to, we try to really be thorough and honest and transparent with students about um, the loans. And and like, we literally scare them. We scare them to the point where they're like, okay, we don't want any loans because it's very important. You know, you have students graduating from like, okay, granted you go to Stanford, you graduate from Stanford and you have a $60,000 um, student loan debt, you know, but you had a, a, and again, we'll talk about internships. You had an internship, so you have a guaranteed job post-graduation. But then for, you have the students that go to like a smaller college. They really don't know what they want to do after college. And then they're just accumulating loans. And so we try to um, discourage them per se of getting loans. But if it's totally necessary, the one, the best ones are like, I was, um, I was saying like the Stafford loan helps with, not accumulating interest until after they graduate. And so another thing too, is there's a lot of um, employers that help give loans as well. So like um, off the top of my head, you have like Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, um, I think Panda Express, like there's different little uh, corporation businesses that offer student loans for, you know, for obviously there's parameters, but there's student loans um, for the employees. So if you work at, if you're a barista at Starbucks, they have certain programs where they offer you student loans. And as long as you're working for them, they end up paying it. I forgot how it actually works, but it, it's a great deal. And so um, we try to tell them to go that route instead of just signing off on, on a loan. And, right. and when you go to a financial aid office, and I've worked in a financial aid office and I, I'm going to be as cutthroat as possible. At the end of the day, it's a business. So schools want you to sign off on $20,000 in loans. They do. Yeah. They want you. They, I like I'm sitting there in the financial aid office and I'm helping. And they're like, why'd you tell her not to get a loan? I'm like, because she doesn't need it. And they're like, no, like that's money that we need to get, you know, for school. And, and so it becomes this business. And if, as long as you maintain that, mentality of like, look, it's a business. I need to get in and get out um, with the least amount of student that possible, then you'll be, you'll be okay. But um, that's the ugly part of financial aid is that you have these financial aid officers who the higher ups are telling them like, yo, have them sign up. Oh, how many, 
how many loans did you like they have a quota you know how many loans did you sign off on today? yeah it's all business so it definitely makes sense um so we have uh, time for one more question before we have to bring on some of our other guests so um just real quick can you just tell me what is um work study and how could a, a student use that to help pay for college so work study is also based on FAFSA. So you have in order to be able to be granted work study, um, you have to get it qualified through FAFSA. And and it'll tell you like you qualify for work study and you have the choice to opt out or to participate in it. And so what happens is you end up working most of the time it's a it's a job on campus. Um there are other smaller schools that outsource, and so um, but it's a job on campus. Um, let's say there's a student union and, and there's a cafe at the school, then you work at the cafe, you get a check, but what they, they, what a lot of students don't realize is that that work study, even though you get that check, that still counts towards your scholarship or your financial aid money. And so a lot of these students get the check and end up spending it on sneakers or whatever. And at the end of the day, like that was supposed to go to bucks. And so it's little things like that. Um, work study, I think is great if you have, um, the discipline to not spend that money and actually use it for what it's meant for, because really what it, what it does, it's just sufficing the, the scholarship amount that you got in the EFC amount. And so there's students that opt out and they say, no, I, I don't want to do work study. Um, just, you know, give me my money otherwise or other ways and then you know, go from there. So, um, right. but I, they, I just they have to be pretty responsible to know how to budget to get through college in order to really, uh, you know, take that, take that under their, their wing to help them, you know, pay for college and hopefully come out with less debt. Um, I know you have so much more information and we're so excited to have you as a part of our, you know, college material program. Um, but we're actually going to be cutting to our next guest and I, um, I'm really excited to get the rest of that information from Patty, uh, moving forward with our program. So next up we have Kalita from the Posse Foundation. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Not bad. Patty shared a lot of really good information. I'm thinking about with and that's good stuff. So I know we have so many more questions too. It's just it's just never ending. But I feel like that's that's what how it happens with financial aid. It's just so confusing. So having so many different voices and uh, people you can trust is really important. Which is part of why we really want to have you here because. Um, I'm not as well versed in the Posse Foundation and what you all do, but I'm super excited to learn more about you. Um, I know Obama supports y'all. I know have a few friends that came through, but could you just tell us more about what is the Posse Foundation and like, what's your mission? Quick backstory. The Posse Foundation started when our CEO founder, Deborah Beal, was working with a student who was working at a university. And the student said, I never would have dropped out if I had my Posse. So our company started in 1989. Um, so Posse at that point meant like your clique, your crew, your group of friends. The thought process was that uh, could we get students to subsist through the university process, right? Like all four years graduate on time, everybody graduate together. Uh, by sending them to school in Patsy's, right? Um, so our program is a way for us to send groups of 10 uh, to selective universities uh, around the country uh, in a way to make sure that students can subsist through the four years. But also the, the larger goal of Posse is to really change the face of leadership. And what that means is that, you know, we're kind of starting from the bottom, right? So we're, we're selecting students from, you know, various cities across the country. We're selecting various ethnicities and genders and various majors and all that kind of stuff, right? So our goal is to really start from the bottom and bring diversity to the top. Um, and, you know, I'm hopeful that I'll get to talk about a few of our alumni, but there's so many of our alumni that have really done that, right? They've gone to these universities, they've changed the campuses like from the ground up, and then now they're, you know, in their professional roles, really doing some incredible things. So uh, Posse's goal in general is to make sure that leadership is diverse, and we do that by sending students to school uh, in groups of 10 so that they can support one another and subsist through the program. That's super cool because, like, you go to school with your clique. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it's pretty dope. It's pretty yeah, dope. Like, you got <laughs> that whole, like, being nervous, like, be somewhere new and, like, alone. Like, I, I went to a predominantly white institution and I was in rooms of 300 and the only person of color. So, like, I was searching for brown faces. So, I totally, that, that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So, like, how does a student become a Posse Scholar? Oh. 
it's such a niche process. So we call our process the dynamic assessment uh, process. Uh, and it is a, uh, a three-step process. Uh, so what happens is a student will get nominated um, by a professor, uh, sorry, a teacher, not a professor, a teacher, a counselor, a principal, um, you know, possibly a community-based organization such as this. Um, and then they uh, will fill out an application. We have this first round interview that in normal times when we're able to be in the same room with one another is about 200 students in one room. Uh, and what we're looking for is leadership, right? We're looking for students that stand out and not just in the traditional way of like uh, being able to boss people around, uh, but in the way of being able to collaborate with others and bring people together. Because again, you are going to school with nine other people. So we're really looking for people who can bring like various different people with different identities and ideas together uh, into one. So we do these really big group interviews. And then the second round interview is um, a one-on-one -on -one interview with a posse staff. Um, and it's a way for us to get to know you better, right? Like, what do you want to study in college? What are some of the cool things that you've done that really set you apart, right? What's some of that non-traditional leadership? Because we're always looking for students you know, of course, right, who are the valedictorians and, um, you know, salutatorians and, you know, SGA president and all that kind of stuff. But we're also looking for people who didn't do that. We're looking for people who, you know, take care of their brothers and sisters after school. Um, we're looking for people who are continuing to volunteer in their communities. All that kind of stuff is really important to us. So that second round interview is a way for us to just get to know you, right? Like, are you a good fit for Posse and is Posse a good fit for you? And then the third round interview is another group interview, but it's much smaller than our big one. So our first one is like 200 students. Our last one is between 25 to 30 students. And in this interview, you actually get to meet uh, the admissions people who would be admitting you to the university. Um, and during this time, we do activities, we play games. It's really, really fun. Actually, most times students you know, who are currently scholars will tell you that it didn't even feel like an interview, that it very much is, you know, a, again, a way for us to get to know you, like is possible the right fit for you? Are you the right fit for Posse? Um, and once that third round interview is over, um, you know, our university partners get to choose, you know, from those 25 to 30 students, who do we think is really going to come to this campus uh, and be a leader? Who's going to change the face of leadership as we're talking about, right? Who's going to come and help us diversify and, and really uh, get into the nitty gritty? Because I'll tell you, our Posse scholars, especially the ones that are currently on campus, um, do a really good job of like holding their universities accountable, right? If there's something that's going on, if there's, um, you know, like some social injustice that happens and the, the university doesn't respond uh, in a way that feels, um, you know, uh, comfortable, right, for the students of color, they're always good about, you know, going to the, the, the president or, um, you know, the deans and saying, hey, can we talk about what the response has been? Uh, so Posse Scholars, uh, it, it's, it's a long process to become a Posse Scholar, but it's such a invigorating process. It's also super encouraging. Um, I think, again, anybody who's done the process will tell you that, you know, they leave that last interview really feeling like they've gained a new group of friends, even though they're not a part of the, the scholarship, but they feel like they've gained a new group of friends. And that's always our goal is to continue to uplift uh, the various leaders in our communities across the country. That's cool. So it sounds like, um, one, it's really notable to be a Posse Scholar. Like, they sound like the movers and shakers. Definitely. Um, but two, like, I know you guys offer them, like, a wide range of things to help with their education. Yeah. Um, before we jump into that, I just have a question for clarity. So how many students do you all pick after all of these interviews? That's such a good question. So Posse DC, right? So here, DC, um, we pick 61 scholars each year. Uh, but in thinking about our entire Entire posse um, cohort that gets picked each year, uh, we pick about 700 students every single year. And so we've got um, we've got sites in LA and San Francisco, uh, the Bay Area, sorry, um, Chicago, New York, Atlanta. Um, where am I missing? We've got a veterans program. We've got Miami. Um, so we, we, we choose a lot of students from across the country. We're partnered with uh, over 70 different universities in the country as well. Um, so overall, we're sending about 700 students from DC specifically. We're sending 61. So with the 61 scholars, those scholars then go to DC related schools or any school, like who are some of your universities as well? Yeah, so um, each site, 
each pesticide is partnered with um, a different set of universities. So if you go to our website, you'll see all the universities that we're partnered with, uh, but Pussy DC is specifically partnered with uh, Bucknell University, Lafayette College, Lewis and Clark College, uh, University of Rochester, um, the University of the South Sewanee, um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I think I missed one. Did I say University of Rochester? <laughs> I was stuck on you talking about Wisconsin because I went to Penn State and I want to be a Badger. But I understand that's awesome. Badgers are some of the, the coolest posse scholars, I'll just say. Oh, you must be one. <laughs> so a student gets, they get accepted. It's awesome. And now they're, they're going to their school. What is included? I know you, what does full tuition mean? Like what, what do they get? Wow. Oh, that's such a loaded question. Okay. So I'm going to start from the top and then I'll get us to when you matriculate. So when you become a Posse Scholar, what happens is uh, from January to August of your senior year, you are actually in this uh, weekly program with your Posse, uh, which is called pre-collegiate training. Uh, and it's a two-hour workshop every single week where you and the other nine Posse Scholars are talking about I mean, literally everything. So from race to sexuality, to consent, to alcohol and drugs, to um, we do a lot of academic things about, you know, writing. Um, we also have like this academic immersion day where we bring, you know, representatives from the university to come and like teach classes. So there's all of this that happens before you get to campus, right? The, the thought process behind that is um, making sure that we really build a, a good foundation for you before you hit campus. Um, and then once you hit campus, thinking about the full tuition scholarship, um, what that means is that full tuition is covered, right? So if tuition, uh, I can't remember, you know, exact numbers, but if tuition is $50,000 um, a year, that is covered every single year. So for all four years of your um, tenure at whatever university you go to, uh, that's covered by the university. Now, um, you know, a, a lot of people will ask us about like room and board and books and that kind of stuff. So those are things that are not covered with the, the scholarship. Uh, but what I will tell you is that because posse scholars are so dope, um, oftentimes they get other forms of um, um what do I want to call it? financial aid, right? So similar to what Patty was talking about with, you know, different um, grants and other scholarships, we always, I mean, always encourage our scholars to be looking for other scholarships because yes, the full tuition scholarship does cover a large chunk of what it costs to go to college, but it does not cover all of it. And um, that oftentimes can be a difficult conversation to have, but also um, our financial aid offices at all of our universities are super helpful as it relates to, you know, kind of going through some of the things that Patty was talking about with FAFSA and all that kind of stuff, but they're also really good about sharing other scholarships. You know, if there are, are things, you know, the little things, right? Like if you're left-handed or, you know, if you are first generation, they've got lots of scholarships like that that you also can apply to. Um, so the Posse Scholarship uh, is only full tuition, but that does not mean that you can't bring other money into it. Um, we have so many students that go to college for free because they, you know, do bring in additional whatever financial aid it is, they do bring that in uh, in order for them to be able to go to college and not um, have to pay a penny. Um, and then, you know, in, in addition to that, in talking about what you get, um, we we also visit campus. So we get to see our scholars um, four times a year. We're on campus. We're doing activities with them, workshops. Um, and in addition to that, we have a career program manager who assists with finding internships and fellowships. Um, she also can assist with finding other scholarships. It all just depends on, you know, like what it is you're looking for. She additionally helps with graduate school and finding jobs after the fact. Like her job is literally like what are you going to do after college? What are you doing in the summer in between your various years of college? Um, and she's very good at assisting our students in finding those things. Um, and then finally, we have an an incredible alumni network that just reached 10,000 alum. Um, so that means 10,000 Posse scholars who have graduated uh, since Posse's inception in 1989. Uh, and that is an incredible network to be a part of. Um, the the, the <laughs> the organizations that are looking for Posse scholars uh, are the big guys. We're talking Apple and Google and Microsoft. Like they're oftentimes posting jobs on our Posse portal, as it's called. Um, and they're looking specifically for Posse scholars. So it's not just the full tuition scholarship that you get. You get this lifelong friendship with nine other people. Um, you get a career program manager whose only job is to help you find jobs, internships, fellowships, all that kind of stuff. And then additionally, you get this this network of people who have been through the same process as you. Um, so, yeah. 
Cool. Um, well, let me tell you, Kalita, you were super thorough in your answers because you answered like two of my other questions within that. So thank you. You made my job very easy. But it's something like Kasi is so dope and that it's not just about, you know, gaining this resource to help pay for school or at least a, a major chunk of school, but gaining this access to all these resources to really help you in your life and career and future. So that's that's amazing. Um, this is definitely something that I'm going to be pushing to our students at the academy. Um, cause th it's just awesome. Um, I wish I would have known about it growing up. I say that all the time. I'm like, if I could just tell everybody, and you know, the other thing about it, it or the hardest part about it is that Posse is such a selective program, but I do feel like, you know, all of the things that you get from like going through the interview process is so invaluable, right? Like the fact that you're doing all of these interviews, like there are so many students that come through our process and they've never done an interview before, right? And now you have that skill. We help them with writing their essays uh, for their college applications. And even if you don't become a Posse scholar, that is still your essay, right? It's still been worked through and combed through. Um, so there's so much that you get from this, even if you don't become a scholar, but also when you become a scholar, it's so much more than just the money. And I always want to make that clear to people because I I know that Posse is a selective process, and I know that that can be a bit daunting when you first get nominated, uh, but there's so much that you get from it, again, even if you don't become a scholar. So. Cool. So um, time for one more question. Can you just share some notable Posse alum? Because I feel like they're probably amazing. <laughs> there are so many, but I was thinking first, um, there is... Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with um, Prince George's County Schools, uh, but um, the International School at Langley Park uh, was actually founded by uh, Carlos Beto, who is a Posse alum um, from Middlebury College, which is one of the first Posse universities that uh, was partnered with Posse. Um, I'm pretty sure on like Posse 20-something. They've been picking Posse's for a long time. Um, so he's pretty awesome. And we actually just picked our first Posse scholar from his school that he founded this past cycle. So it's a really cool, you know, kind of serendipity uh, that's been happening. Uh, but also we've got uh, so many different alumni that are doing incredible things. I know um, we've got an alum currently who is the president of Ithaca College. Um, we've got alum that are working uh, in hospitals around the world. We've got one alum uh, that's also from DC uh, that's currently fighting um, for DACA recipients to be able to get free healthcare. So there's just there's so much happening. And as we talk about like leaders, they really are leaders on the forefront of all different types of topics and ideas. Um, and so, you know, if you just do a quick Google search, you will find all of our alumni. There's so many great stories. Um, those two are the, the ones that came to mind specifically, again, thinking about Posse DC and what's happening in our current area. Um, and those are two scholars that uh, have been doing great work in the DC area. That's awesome. And I'm sure some people listening um, know who these people are. I'm, I'm actually not a DMV native. I'm from New York. So I did, I did know Ithaca and I do know some of those things. So I'm a transplant. So I'm getting, I'm getting used to these, to these, uh, these people and the different terms and the counties and all that. But I want to thank you so much, Kalita, for being with us and sharing um, this amazing opportunity and, and organization that you all have. So thank you again for being here. Next up, we have Mazi Mutafa, who is our founding um, executive director for Words, Beats, and Life. And he's going to come and talk to us a little bit about um, some of the scholarships that we offer at WBL. Hey, Mazi. What's going on, Serena? Hey. Hey, friend. Uh, <laughs> so so just because I, I do know a little bit about you, just a little, I know you have an interesting way that you afford a college just before we jump into the scholarships. And I think it could be useful to some of the people listening. So um, tell us a little bit about one yourself and two, um, how were you able to afford college? So it's interesting, right? When I was listening to Coach Patty, who got jewels for days, I was thinking she would have been like my guardian angel in college because so many things that she was describing that people could do, I did. So as an example, um, I was I was a person that was accepted to the University of Maryland, but wasn't going to go at first. So I took a semester off. So I came in the second semester. Um, I was one of those young people back when you needed a, your parents' uh, taxes who couldn't get my parents to give me their taxes because they did them late every year. Um, so one of the things I actually did was I emancipated myself. Um, which was to make it so that I could actually file my own taxes, use my own taxes for my FAFSA because my parents weren't actually contributing materially um, to my life in college in terms of giving me money. They weren't, they weren't doing anything in terms of the FAFSA. 
Um, and so emancipating myself was actually the way that I, I was able to take the most advantage of the kinds of grants that she's talking about. But I think one of the other things, especially for you, Serena, because you, like you said, you're not a DC native. When you hear the word tag, what do you think? T-A-G. I have no idea. Really? So like in New York, they didn't have a talented and gifted? They, they, could have. <laughs> they could have. Honestly, I just don't know about it. <laughs> well, in DC, DC students are actually able to take advantage of something else. It's called DC Tag, which is a tuition assistance grant, which basically allows all young people who go to public schools and I guess probably public charter schools too in DC to get a scholarship to pay in-state tuition at any university in the United States. Um, and so this is one of the ways that DC is a little bit different in terms of making resources available. That's a grant that every single uh, DC resident who is a young person who goes to college can apply for. Um, but, but emancipating myself was a big part of the way that I was able to do financial aid. And, and then I was one of those people who my levels of financial aid ran out at the end. And so because I was a student leader, I went into the president's office and was like, yo, I'm about a, I'm a semester away from graduating. So I don't know money. I think I'm going to have to drop out. And he literally picked up the phone and called over to those wonderful people that work in financial aid and gave me a scholarship to be able to finish at the University of Maryland. So this is one of the things I always tell people that being a student leader has its perks, not just the experience of being a leader and learning about how to work in teams and community, but also to be able to have access to resources that literally are a phone call away for some people at your campus. That's awesome. I know for me, I I think a reason why I don't know about any of these things is because my dad kind of handled it, right? Like he was just like, oh, you're going to college, right? And um, we were blessed that, you know, he could do it. But then halfway through um, my time at Penn State, he lost his job. So mm -hmm. now it was like either figure out how to pay for college or leave the institution that you've been at for two plus years. And, you know, you're trying to get your education at. So that's how I ended up taking out so many loans because you know, 19 year old Serena was like, I just want to stay at Penn State, you know, so I just took out these loans. But um, I do know that there, once you explain what TAG was, we do have a program like that in New York where students can go to um, SUNY and CUNY schools. I don't know the details around it because it didn't exist when I was going to school. It's kind of a newer program, but I know that something like that exists. This program exists in DC just because it's not a state. And so the idea is like, like, right. the, like what um, Coach Patty was saying around in-state versus out-of-state tuition, like if you're in D.C., you don't have a state college. We have a state, we have a city community college. And so the way that one of the benefits of not being a state is that we're able to take advantage of everybody else's in-state tuition. Right. That's that's super dope. And I hope I hope some of our students take advantage of that. I know uh, we'll be pushing that with the college material program. But um, OK, that, that was awesome. I think that'll be really helpful for many students listening or just anybody, maybe even parents wanting to help their kids better afford um, college. Can I comment though on one thing that Coach Patty said, which is to be honest, I think I think what she said is is 100 percent correct about um, an aversion to loans. And I, I hear a lot of students, especially in like the last five years or so, talk about not being willing to take out loans to be able to go to school. And I think there's a couple. So I think, of course, she's right that the ability to graduate with as little debt as possible should be the priority. But I also think it's important to talk about good debt and bad debt. And university debt is good debt. It's debt that you use to invest in yourself. It's not that you went out and bought, you know, a Nike shop and got every single shoe in your size. Is that you invested in your education? So thinking about if the, if debt is the only way for you to be able to afford to get the degree that's going to get you the job that allows you to pay off that debt, get that debt. If a grant is able to do it, get that grant. If a if a scholarship is able to do it, if if a rich auntie who's got some money to give away or a house to mortgage, whatever it takes for you to be able to pay for the education that you want to get to the degree and more importantly the career or business that you want to create, it's worth it. Make that investment. You're investing in yourself. But like Patty also said, look at what the terms are. Whether or not you're going to have to be paying while you're in school or once you get out of school. And once you get out of school, you can defer loans. I know I did that for like the first five years of my career. And now if you're a person that, that decides you want to graduate from school and go into work in a community based organization, you can actually apply to have your loans forgiven. So there's there's so many tools to be used and, and debt should not be something that we're afraid of. Credit should not be something we're afraid of. Finance is not something we should be afraid of. We should learn how it works and use it to our advantage. 
Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. I mean, with my the the debt that I have from undergrad and law school, um, I definitely look at it as an investment or else I'd probably cry. So <laughs> so that, that's definitely a good way to put it. And I've always um, said that, you know, I really just invested in, in my in myself and, and my future. So that's that's definitely the, the best way to, to view it. Um, so, yeah, so I know. Well, you know, we know that Words, Beats in Life is dedicated to helping D.C. youth and through the college material program, we're helping to empower them to have an after high school plan um, and, and attend college. So how do the scholarships that, you know, WBL offers support that mission? I mean, to be honest, we've been talking about creating scholarships for years. We actually had scholarships probably six years ago. They were funded by folks like MBA services and, and other kind of individuals, c- companies that we, we pay for services. They decided to invest in our students by creating scholarships. And we did that, to be honest, kind of like what, like, again, coaches dropping them jewels. It was so hard to get people to apply, to just write a one-page essay. But in, but in fairness to young people, I don't think it was because they didn't want to write. It's because we didn't give them enough time, that we actually needed to give them more lead time to have better relationships with their schools and their counselors or their parents so that it's not just a young person that we're engaging, but we're engaging a whole family. The challenge for us is that our grants are so small or our, our scholarships are so small. It's like, well, do I really want to do blah, blah, blah? I mean, I don't know, like for me, an extra $500 my freshman year to pay for my books would have been a, would have made a big difference in my freshman, my freshman year in college. And so that's the scholarship. The level of scholarship we've created is a series of $500 scholarships that are intended to be used for books, but can be used for a meal plan, can be used for whatever it is that's necessary for a young person. Um, and we've created kind of two scholarships. One um, is... It's something we created actually thanks to an angel donor who donated um, a little bit less than $5,000 of money that he raised for his birthday um, to us to create a For the Love of U Street scholarship. And he wanted to do something a little different, which I love, which is he wanted to create a scholarship for graduating high school seniors and graduating college seniors who are from Washington, D.C. And the idea of both of those scholarships is it's not necessarily a book scholarship. It's a scholarship for, for the, for the graduating senior for books, but for the, from high school, but for the graduating senior from college, it's just $500 maybe to move back or to do a party or whatever. It's celebrating the fact that you're now a college graduate for Washington, D.C. And so we created the, that's called the For the Love of U Street scholarship. And then the secondary scholarship we created is actually, uh, unfortunately, fortunately, I say unfortunately because of the, the, the motivation for its creation. My, my line brother, I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. My line brother passed away a year ago. And um, myself and a number of University of Maryland alumni got together to create a scholarship in his name. His name is Brandon Berment, and he's from New York City. Um, and so we decided to create a scholarship that really reflected who he is as a person. So it's a for incoming freshmen, specifically to the University of Maryland, who are from New York. Which you'd be surprised, like a lot of the folks I'm positive are, there are, yeah, yeah, or someone who's in leadership in a student group, like. Um, a, a, a Greek-lettered organization, um, a culture-based student group like the African Student Association or Caribbean Student Association because he was of Caribbean descent. Um, and then the last one is people who are members of the Black Business Association because he was a business major. So we wanted to create a scholarship so his name could continue to be celebrated for the things that he was and the things that he did. Um, and I, I'm really, really proud of that scholarship because it was funded by people who were some of the, the quasi co-founders of Words, Beats, and Life, people that are, that are my, like my family, um, who really loved Brandon and wanted to do something to celebrate him. I want to give a shout out uh, to Christopher Etienne and to Maisha Lowry in particular because they rallied the troops. They got their posse together to build this scholarship. Um, and we hope that people are going to want to take advantage of it at the University of Maryland, which is where Words, Beats, and Life started. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I actually didn't know that that was um, someone so close to you. Um, And that's an awesome way to really honor his his legacy. Um, So I'm sure he's smiling down on any student and you all that are, you know, taking advantage of this. Um, So how do students apply to these scholarships that we're offering? So this is great. Um, If you look just below me, there's a little ticker um, that gives you the web address. And and basically it's an application. It's pretty simple. 
And I think that, you know, one of the things I, I feel like a lot of uh, high school students take for granted is the fact that because they know about it, they think everybody knows about it. So they think there's going to be a ton of competition. Like, again, Coach said they had 30 scholarships to give away and only 10 people applied. So one of the things, this is a brand new scholarship. We have no idea how many people are going to apply to either. Um, but in the case of the For the Love of You Street scholarship, we have enough money to be able to give away 10 scholarships. Um, so if there are 10 people watching this who are like, yo, I'm about to get that bread, feel free to submit your application. The biggest thing about it was he, uh, the, the angel investor wanted to celebrate the history of Black arts on U Street um, and the ways in which U Street has fed this kind of whole creative ecosystem, thanks to places like Howard University, uh, thanks to places like UDC. Um, thanks to places like um, Trinity College, like DC is a, is, a, is a college town. Most people don't know it for that because most people don't only know DC for the political aspect, but it has a ton of campuses and then it has a ton of satellite campuses for people who are studying political science who come to DC to get their internships in Congress, um, to, be, to be a page or to, to work at a firm that's lobbying. So there's, there's so many ways that DC is a political town, but it's also a college town. In a yeah, different way, like usually college towns are just one school and a town's built around it. D.C. is a town with colleges all over it. Yeah, I was going to say it's definitely like a melting pot. It's um, it's way more immersive than I thought it was. Uh, and just like I think I think Coach Patty said this, but that D.C. really cares about education. I think some people are shocked by that, but it's such a push. Um, and I could be overstating, but I feel like even like DC public schools are some of like the best paying jobs for their teachers, um, things like that. So I think that, you know, DC really does want to put a lot into education in their youth. Um, you know, it's a little, it's a little disheartening to me to hear that students aren't wanting to write this like one little essay because it's like, maybe they don't, maybe they think that too many people are applying or maybe they also feel like, I don't know how to write this essay or, you know, I'm not going to be good at this. I won't get it. But for me, I got some of those like little $500, you know, uh, little scholarships and stuff. And I didn't realize how helpful it was until I had to like give that money for my books, you know, cause like as a 17 year old going to college, I'm like, oh, my dad's got it. Like, you know, like not thinking and they were just so helpful. So I really would encourage any student listening to like take advantage of all of these, these smaller scholarships, anything you can get because it adds up and you're not going to realize like all the things that you may need, like not even just books. Like if you go somewhere where there's all this snow, like maybe you need boots to just be able to get to class. Like I know that was a big thing for my friends that went to Penn State that were from Cali. They had like not seen snow. So definitely take advantage. Well, I think like this is what Coach said though. She, she, gave, she gave another jewel. She said you can create an essay that you can use for multiple scholarships. So the point is write something really good and then find who's looking for that story. You know, like one of the things I, I teach a class for Words, Beats and Life called Like a Boss. And one of the ways I kind of try to throw my credentials on the table on the first day is be like, normally I raise somewhere between a half a million and a quarter of a million dollars a year by writing papers. Like what yeah. I do for a living is write 10 to 15 page papers and convince people to invest in the work. You're doing the same thing. You're asking people to invest in you. I just got done doing my little soapbox speech about debt being a way to invest in yourself. Scholarships are a way to let other people invest in you. That's a great way to put it. I actually never thought of it that way, but that that is exactly what's happening. Um, and most of those scholarship essays are basically what they're asking on these on the Common App or any other applications that may not be on the Common App. So you're killing two birds with one stone. You might as well just do it. Well, I think, um, you know, but, yeah. but this is also part of the reason why we started college material. I feel like a lot of young people don't have guidance counselors explaining to them the odds of being awarded or the, the kind of parity between different kinds of applications. It's like sitting, this is the beauty of having college material coaches is because what your guidance counselor isn't going to do, an adult who's been through college and been through a process similar to what you're about to go through is going to help you walk through it step by step. And having that kind of support to be able to say, well, if you're going to do loans, da, 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 or if you're not going to, like, to be able to talk to you from a position of experience as opposed to from a position of aspiration. Um, in the case of parent, like, if you're the first generation or you, no one in your immediate family has gone to college, like, having people that have been through it is is one of the best ways to make sure that you can get through something. Yeah. 
That's true. And I think also like, cause both of, both of my parents and my grandparents were all college educated. So I wasn't a first generation, but my dad had no idea what it was now. So just getting somebody that might know more of what's going on right now is super helpful. Um, so I do have some, uh, two more questions for you. Uh, the first being, does WBL have any plans to like keep the same energy of continuing to support the youth in their future by helping them fund college? You know, what's so crazy is that in preparation for this panel discussion, um, a friend of my wife's family contacted us this weekend and decided that, um, they wanted to make a very generous donation to Words Beats and Life. Uh, part of it is because um, my wife's uh, father's birthday is coming up. And so he did this as a birthday gift. But it's also because he recognizes that the work that I and my wife are doing, she also runs a nonprofit called the Tour for Diversity in Medicine, which is designed to help students of color learn about how to pursue, pursue careers in medicine. Oh, so we both got a letter from the same family friend um, who made a grant from the Elliott B. Sloan Charitable Fund in the amount of $10,000, specifically to fund the creation of a scholarship in honor of the lifelong kindness, generosity, leadership, dedication, and joyful friendship and family of Dr. and Mrs. Warren Hitomi Matthews. Warren is uh, my wife's, um, my father-in-law, and Hitomi is my mother-in-law. Um, and so he wanted to make this, this generous $10,000 donation in both of, in both of their, um, honor, but in the name of his charitable fund. So it's, it's exciting just to kind of see that when people see the work you're doing, that they want to, again, they want to invest in you. Part of that, part of that telling your story is, is sharing with people the fact that you're doing something worth caring about for people who they, whose lives they want to make a difference in. I literally today, um, went out to record an interview for our alternative spring break. And I ran into a friend who's moving to Seattle and she said, you know what, Mozzie, I just want to thank you. If ain't nobody thanked you today, I want to thank you for putting in 20 years of work to help our children, our young people pursue their dreams, taking the, she called them the unemployable and showing them how to be employed and how to create their own jobs. And I was like, say what? <laughs> that's that's awesome. And um, I mean, I thank you for all your hard work because without you doing all that, I wouldn't be the academy manager. <laughs> so thank you, Mazi. Um, so one last question just to help us wrap it up. If students are, we're not listening this whole time, right? Because sometimes we tune out. What is one major piece of advice you hope that they take away from this in regards to securing the bag for college? I think that the most important thing is that it's a process. And that unlike their, their K through 12 experience, Fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of it they're going to have to do on their own. And so it's really important to find mentors, um, advisors to talk to like in like if you're if you're a high school student, there's this thing in, in college called office hours, which is a time where you can go and meet with your professor or your, your teaching assistant to ask questions, to get help. My entire time in college, one of the things my TAs and professors always said is probably less than five percent of people come to office hours, not because only five percent of people need help. Because only 5% of people are willing to admit that they need help and to ask for it. So ask for help. Ask for help at school. Ask for help in your family. Ask for help um, from the universities themselves. Because there are literally people who sit waiting for phone calls all day to be able to help you on this journey that you're about to enter into on, on your own for the most part. Even if you have supportive family, it's still going to be your life, your degree, your experience. And so you got to be prepared to start leveraging those human and material resources to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. That, that was a great answer, Mazi. Thank you. Um, in, in my experience, like I said, my dad lost his job midway through college and I had already had this relationship with one of the other minority um, professors who um, he just really took us under his wing because there just weren't many of us in the liberal arts. And when he found out, he literally paid for my books for the rest of my time at Penn State. And then he decided, you know, to help me put me in contact with someone else who would tell me what to apply for. So then I was denied for that, but then it would qualify me for some different grants and I was able to stay in school and graduate. And um, that wouldn't have happened if I never went to those office hours, if I never did those things. Um, so thank you. Thank you everybody for that. Thank you, Mozzie, for um, those great answers and for just being an amazing um, executive director. Um, we're so, we're so lucky to have you. Um, and thank you, Terrell, for this event. 
Oh, no problem. Um, I just want to thank all of our special guests. Um, they, I think they all did wonderful. Thank you so much, Serena. I hope that the information that you all got today was very helpful. If you can, make sure that you share this link on your Facebook page or if you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Twitch, make sure that you subscribe, make sure that you donate. Anything that you all do is a big help to us um, here at Words Beats in Life. All right. So that will wrap up where the bag at. So as we talked about today, we talked about loans, grants, scholarships, different ways to secure the bag so that students in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area can all attend the colleges of their choice. All right. So I first also want to invite you all next month to an event that will be titled A Different World. A Different World is going to be a more of a roundtable discussion on the student life experience in college, which includes student organizations, as well as Greek life, building networks, and, you know, more ways that maybe you can even secure the bag after college. We talked a lot about, you know, scholarships and loans, but we didn't talk about making money after college so much today. But that is also a big part of going to college, make sure that you can come out of college with a job so that you can pay back the loans that you might occur during your time at college. All right. So if you haven't already, make sure that you follow us on our social media accounts so you can stay updated with the flyer for a different world. We'll be releasing very soon as well as more events that we'll be hosting throughout the week. All right. So once again, I want to thank you all so much for coming out. This podcast was produced by executive director Mazi Mutafa. Past episodes can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Mixcloud. Words, Beats, and Life podcasts are produced through funding from partner grants and in-kind donations from people like you. Visit wblinc.org donate to make a contribution.